to the Strength and Dignity Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Bromley. During our time together, we will delve into all things relating to abuse, particularly domestic abuse. As a woman who has experienced abuse from the woman's perspective, this podcast is geared toward women and the unique challenges she faces when she finds herself in an abusive situation. What happens when she seeks godly counsel? Must she remain in bondage? Is she to blame for her abuse? It's time to find our voice and shine a light on an area which many want to keep in the dark. Let's dive in. Hi, welcome to our first episode of the Strength and Dignity Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you all discussing such an important topic. This topic has been brushed under the carpet for far too long, and we are together going to shine light upon it. A large theme we will touch upon often is what happens when a woman being abused seeks help from those within the church. She doesn't always get the help that she needs. Let me tell you a little bit about how I wound up here talking to you about this important topic. I dated a man for about six years on and off. He was the Christian man I had waited for. See, my first marriage ended in divorce. My first husband was an addict and he chose to immerse himself in that lifestyle. He moved out when I pressed him on remaining clean shortly after finding out I was pregnant with our first and only child and he headed to the other side of the country where he quickly accelerated in his addictions and ultimately living a life in and out of prison. I knew I didn't want another divorce. This one had devastated me. I was raised within a Christian home with Christian influence, and I was a strong believer. And I, of course, never planned for this to happen. This time, I was going to do it right. I would wait for the right Christian man, someone who would be the father to my daughter, Ava, someone who would love her as his own, someone who would love and protect and support me as a husband, the way God intended. And here he seemed to be. We could talk about God and spiritual things for hours. We attended Christian seminars and concerts together. We went out to dinners for ice cream. We spent so much time together and we got along really well. There was just one problem, which in hindsight should have been a red flag, only I didn't see it at the time. The issue was he had a tough time committing and wanting to take things to the next level. No, he wasn't dating around or anything like that, but he often expressed a hesitancy to ever marry again, which was sort of a stumbling block for us. He also had a negative overall outlook on relationships, and he knew every heartbreak story in our town and around. And that should have also been a red flag, but I had no reason not to believe his reasoning for all of this. He had explained that his previous wife, the mother of his four kids and his high school sweetheart, had cheated on him multiple times and eventually left him for another man. He said he didn't know if he could ever trust again. Everyone around him corroborated the story, so why wouldn't I believe it? 
He treated me and Ava, who was three when we met, extremely well. He attended her school concerts, dance recitals, showed up for me literally any time I needed him. Whether it was a flat tire or any other kind of jam, he was always there. It seemed like an answered prayer. I mean, I asked God in very specific terms exactly for the type of man I wanted, and he seemed by all accounts to be it. I still remember after our first date, he brought me to his home. Nothing inappropriate. He wanted to show me the house and the property and introduce me to one of his sons. It was such an amazing night. And I remember looking up at the stars and just praising God in my heart and mind for finally sending me this man, the man I was meant to spend the rest of my life with. So what happened to lead me here? The quick version of the story is that I eventually married and moved in with this man, despite his hesitation. And that's a whole nother part of the story. But within about a week of living with him, I had been flung across the kitchen floor. All I had done was ask a simple question regarding a space heater for my daughter. Suddenly, I was in this situation where everything I said or asked was taken as a personal attack, and it got to a point where I was afraid to ever express myself. Sadly, this early incident was the first of many of its kind. Many abusive outbursts happened in this home. After this incident, the first thing I did was call the pastor who married us. He had provided our marriage counseling and was still counseling us. He was a close friend of my husband and was the pastor of the church where he had gotten saved years prior to us meeting. Surely he could be of help here. Surely he would talk some sense into my husband. Surely he would provide a positive influence and explain how wrong this was. Right? Wrong. The very first thing he did was make excuses for the behavior. He told me how hard trusting again and being in another marriage was for him, and how he's struggling under the pressure. He didn't show concern for me. He didn't show concern for my daughter. He didn't ask if we were safe. He didn't show compassion. He didn't ask to speak to my husband. He didn't even pray with me. All he did was make excuses. Sadly, this type of attitude toward the abuse was a common theme I faced when seeking out help and guidance for the duration of this marriage. Other leaders and even other women in the church held this troubling mindset, this destructive mindset where there must be something you've done wrong or something that you haven't done right or something that you haven't done enough of. This type of enabling is not only harmful to the woman, but also the man. Leaving people in their sin and dysfunction does not help anyone. Unfortunately, mine is not a unique story. Women seek help often and get re-victimized. As men are not held accountable and the women in the situation are blamed for his behavior. This happens far too often. Well, after a year of this abuse, I left my husband. I was broken and distraught. I was confused. I just didn't understand how any of this had transpired. I couldn't reconcile in my mind 
this man that I was dealing with on a day-to-day basis and the man who I had been with for six years. I couldn't understand it. I'd done all I could do. I prayed, I begged, I pleaded with God and my husband, and I finally came to the conclusion that perhaps a separation would have an impact. Well, the day I left, my husband was completely cold. I had only packed up the bare necessities as I was hoping this would not be a permanent situation, but he went and packed up everything and everything that he thought was mine. He even rolled up carpet that I had purchased specifically for that home. Food products, anything at all, if it was mine, he had it piled by the front door. He made it a point to show no emotion and make me feel as though he was throwing me away. Yes, I was beyond broken. I was an absolute mess. I felt worthless. I stayed with some friends for about a week or so while looking for a place to live. It was hard to find a rental as I had two dogs that I wouldn't part with. But eventually we found a trailer to rent with a wonderful angel of a landlord. She allowed my pups and also made some other special allowances for us so that we could get in there as quickly as possible. Her and I are still friends to this day. God does provide, you see, when we move forward in faith. So, in this time of separation and brokenness, I started a Facebook page, a blog if you will, where I began sharing my thoughts and feelings. It was an outlet where I tried processing what was happening to me. It was for no one but myself at that time. I soon learned to put a name to what I had experienced, narcissistic abuse. My then-husband's ex-wife, who I had been put in contact with, helped me a lot in that regard. She gave me the name and told me to research, and oh, how my eyes were opened. I couldn't cook, clean, or hardly do anything initially when I moved out. The things I posted and shared on this blog were raw and real. Eventually, I got strong. But boy, before I did, it was awful. I wasn't even unpacking the boxes that I had brought to that home. We were living out of boxes. But with some counseling, I was eventually able to make that trailer a home and regain some strength. I'd say in about six months. I counseled with a wonderful Christian therapist, and I was even in a group where they taught about better ways to handle narcissists. See, I still wanted my marriage to work. I couldn't accept that another divorce was possibly impending. I still loved my husband. After a year of separation, my daughter and I moved back in with him. I had learned ways to de-escalate and even avoid escalation. I learned how to walk away and not engage. It helped to a certain extent, but within months I could see that his seething anger was still there. Eventually, I devised a plan to leave and didn't tell him a thing about it. Yes, other abuse did occur. Interestingly, since the first time I left so broken, he had no emotion or care. But since I had more composure and strength, the second time around, he reacted much differently when he figured out that I was gone. In the meantime, that blog or Facebook page I had started began to grow rapidly. 
It had grown steadily for a while, but it just seemed to shoot in popularity, seemingly overnight. Why? Because so many women could relate to my pain and my story. So many of us have walked similar paths. All of it, from the abuse to the re-victimizing within the church to the enabling of the abuse, it was heart-wrenching, mind-blowing, and eye-opening all at once. But through the sharing of so many hundreds of thousands of stories, literally, I knew this was more than a blog. This was a ministry. I knew I needed to be a voice for women like me. People needed to be educated on abuse. Churches needed proper training. Women needed real help. Families needed real help. Churches needed to be a place of refuge, a safe haven, a place where women are protected and given proper guidance, not thrown back into abuse. And as I touched upon earlier, men needed accountability and strong leadership when they're being the abuser. They certainly can't grow or ever change without that. So here I am. There's a lot more to this story, and I will share so much more with you in future episodes. But here are some main points I want you to take away from this episode. Abuse is not your fault. Even if you're not perfect, let's face it, none of us are. The thing is, when you're in a relationship with an abuser, you can't work on fixing the normal everyday issues and differences because they can't and won't engage in healthy conflict resolution. There's just nowhere to go from there. But despite our flaws and imperfections, we do not deserve abuse. No one, including your church, should make you feel as though abuse is somehow your fault, that you needed to pray more, fast more, submit more, tend to your husband's needs more, and on and on we go. You do not need to stay. You do not need to fix him. He needs to choose to accept that he has a problem and seek the help himself. Many do not. In spite of that, there is hope and freedom for you. You deserve love and to be treated with respect and dignity. I look forward to spending more time with you and exploring the topic of abuse further. Thank you for joining me on this journey of healing and hope. Please subscribe to this podcast and join me next time when we will talk about how to know if you're dealing with abuse. Until next time, my sweet warriors, take care of yourself. You deserve it. You are precious in the eyes of God.